Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Orison Sweat Marden once said, It is the idle man, not the great worker, who's always complaining that he has no time or opportunity. Welcome to Christian Questions. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And you might say that ours is a long-term approach as we've been broadcasting the good news of the gospel for over 19 years. And I'm Julie, filling in for Jonathan, who is away celebrating his 30th wedding anniversary with his wife, Jewel. That long-term, different perspective has its basis in three things, godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. And Rick, I feel like the odometer is about to turn over in my car if I just drive a little farther, because today is our 999th broadcast. And we've talked the gospel with listeners on several talk radio stations throughout the eastern and central United States for many years. And that's right. We figured it was time to bring the good news to the whole world by way of podcasting. So here we are. We thank you all for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, website, messages, Facebook, our chat board, however else you want to let us know. So let's get started. Julie, it's good to have you in. What's the before we? Well, actually, let's um, yeah, let's let's do the question. What's the question? What's the scripture? Or what are we doing here? Okay, this is a really good one. Does complaining ever help? And our theme text is Psalm fifty-five two. Give heed to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I am surely distracted. Okay, so does complaining ever help? Now look, complaining. Everybody does it sometimes. Well, actually, occasionally, we complain from a positive perspective for the purpose of affecting change, and, and that's good. But most of the time, most of the time, we complain because someone or something is irritating us or putting pressure on us or challenging us or contradicting us. Most of our complaints are not for the purpose of truly solving any issue. Rather, they're for the purpose of being heard, of having our position or circumstance or opinion verified. We complain for attention, for sympathy, and to reinforce our ego. We often use complaining as a tool of destruction against those we oppose. For the most part, complaining doesn't sound all that productive. So, what do we do about it? How do we stop our complaining or transform it into something good? So folks, the subject on the table today is complaining, and as with every subject, it's always our objective to, um, with each subject, that we uh, choose to approach it in a biblical and relevant, practical way. We search out the original context of the scriptures that we cite, try to find their true meaning, and combine those scriptures with the pressing issues of our day to give you something to really think about. So, And don't forget, simply go to ChristianQuestions.com, click Listen Live for the live audio and chat room. Chat with fellow listeners around the world, and we might even include your comments on the air. All right. So get on that chat board if you'd like to uh, participate. So, Julie, uh, you're sitting in for Jonathan. It's a rare occasion when Jonathan and I are not doing this together. Who are you? 
<laughs> well, I, I, I'm actually long distance. I'm all the way in Chicago, and I have been working behind the scenes with Christian Questions now for about seven years. I, I handled the CQ Rewind and some of the overseeing of social media and uh, anything else that needs to be done. That's right. Julie, uh, actually, you are my right arm in the behind the scenes work and really appreciate all that you do. She is the originator of CQ Rewind, as a matter of fact. So um, glad to have you with us in a vocal perspective for this particular week. So we're talking about complaining. Now, let's figure out what does complaining mean? Let's start with the dictionary. It's pretty simple. Julie, if you opened up Merriam-Webster's online dictionary, what would you see? Well, you've got two, uh, two, two definitions here. First, it's to express grief, pain, or discontent. And two, to make a formal accusation or charge. Okay. And, and you know, I was looking at the notes today, yeah. and it occurs to me that complaining can be a really good thing, which is good because I can be pretty good at it. <laughs> All right. So, folks, you heard it here. Complaining can be good. I, I think it can be in some cases. However... However, what we need to do is understand the larger picture before we just jump to that conclusion that, whoa, I'm a complainer and that's good because that's really not what we're saying. But let's, let's, let's touch on the idea of complaining being a good thing. Let's go to our first soundbite. This is from uh, How Complaining Can Improve Mental Health, Dr. Romy from Fox News in Orlando. So uh, just a, a, a moment here about what we're calling effective complaining. You've probably heard it a million times in your life, don't complain. But there is new research that shows that advice may be wrong. Turns out complaining can actually be good for your health sometimes. So how does that all fit in, this, this complaining? <laughs> how can it possibly be good for you? It is. Well, in this recent study, Tom, in the Journal of Social Psychology, what they actually were finding was that when we combine mindfulness, which is being in the present moment, okay. learning how to be happy, and knowing how to effectively complain, people were much happier and had more self-esteem. All right, so what do you mean by effectively complain? It is when we want to complain, it's about using facts and logic and knowing who to complain to, Tom. People who know how to complain effectively, it's because they are doing from a calm place without heated emotion, number one. And number two, they're complaining to the people who they know can possibly create an effective change in their life for whatever the situation may be. And so therefore, there's a positive outcome on the other end. Is that is that the thinking and that's why it has health benefits? It is. Sometimes there's a positive benefit, but if not, it's just knowing that you voiced your concern in a logical way is actually helping to release it. So from that perspective, effective complaining, complaining with mindfulness, she says, can be good. Mm-hmm. And we like that. We like that. The idea and to the right people. Okay, to the right people with a specific objective. And right. and see, that's where the complaining that most of us do kind of if you're trying to describe it, say, okay, check I got this, check I got we don't check off too many of those boxes, I think. Um so yes, complaining can be good. What about complaining when it can be bad? Let's take a look at the other side of the issue. Uh, so, Julie, we've got some, some uh, pieces here from uh, the Institute, Institute of Clinical Hypnosis in Ireland. So why don't you just give us a little bit of uh, background on that? Sure. Robin Kowalski, a professor, professor of psychology, believes that there are three different types of complainers. Now, now, listen to these three different complainers because 
I certainly know people that fall into every one of these categories. The first type is a venter. This is a dissatisfied person who is not interested in hearing any solutions to help them. They just complain. Two, a sympathy seeker. Now, this person believes they've got it worse than everyone else, and they look for others to comfort them, and they're never really very comforted. Number three is a chronic complainer. Now, these are the people that live in a constant state of complaint, complaining about the same thing over and over and over. Okay, so three basic kinds of complainers. When it comes to the kind of complaining that's not good for you, a venter? just spouting off a sympathy seeker somebody looking to get you on their side and you know say oh it's okay i understand what a tough thing yeah right and then the chronic complainer that just doesn't seem to stop and like you said we can all probably think of people that we know in one two or maybe all three of those categories so complaining is chronic it's everywhere there's another little paragraph here about what happens in our brains when we complain so julie let's go to that whenever we complain Thousands of neurons are triggered and form a neural network. The mind then finds it easier to follow this established network when reacting to everyday life. So it's important we catch ourselves when we complain, making sure we don't berate ourselves. Practice to create a new neural network for pleasant feelings instead of complaining and start to live a happier life. Okay, so complaining, the negative complaining sort of digs a trench inside your brain and creates a free-flowing place for your thinking to go through. And that's not a very good thing. So the idea that, um, who is this? Robin Kowalski is, is, is writing, uh, Robin is saying, you know, you've got to practice to, to create a new neural network so you can get pleasant feelings instead of complaining feels. Okay, sounds great. How do you do that? How do you do that? That's the question. Any thoughts? How do you do that? I, I think that complaining is a choice. I think that you can stop yourself. And some of the things, I think we've got some real good practical solutions coming up. Um, you know, when you, first of all, as a Christian, mm-hmm. we should be among the most kind, the happiest. You know, we know God's plan. We're the ones that shouldn't be complaining. We should not be insulting God. We have it all. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. So she's all over it already. We just And this is important. This is important to understand. So let's go through and try to figure out how complaining works. David in the Psalms seemed to do a lot of complaining, didn't he? Definitely. He also did a lot of praising. He did. Okay. He did a lot of both. What if we combine both approaches to try and drill down into the anatomy of what we want to be a positive complaint. Psalm 55, we're going to use two psalms in, in our, in our uh, discussion today. Psalm 55 was a complaint written at the time of Absalom's rebellion and was most likely focused on the part that David's former trusted advisor by the name of Ahithophel played in that rebellion. There's a whole story about Ahithophel and David. We actually did a podcast on that a few years ago, so we should reference that in the rewind because it's a great, great story. It was about bitterness, I think, was, it was the, the underlying theme. So we're going to use Psalm 55 as the complaining psalm, because as you will see as we begin to read it, there's complaining going on right near the front. So Psalm 55, verses 1 to 3. Let's get started with that. Okay, and we, you know, we generally read from the New American Standard Version. We have some listeners that ask us that 
quite often. Oh, okay. Well, that's a little little known fact that shouldn't be little known, but I never bring it up. So, hey. <laughs> okay. So, Psalm 55, 1 to 3, New American Standard. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Give heed to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I am surely distracted because of the voice of the enemy, because of the pressure of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. Okay, so he says, I am restless in my complaint. So David is complaining to God. He is saying, this is bothering me to the point of personal unrest. That's not a good place to be. So we're going to be continually going back to the anatomy of complaining. So complaint anatomy, Julie, to get us started, what's the complaint anatomy that David is starting with in this psalm? Well, we want to give voice to your complaints to those whom you trust to help with the matter. So complaining to the right person. Okay, so your complaints should have a voice but it should be to the right person. You notice the very first few words of this psalm are, give ear to my prayer, not all you people out there, but it's give ear to my prayer, O God. Mm -hmm. And he spills his heart out to God. That's the place we want to place our complaints. So the first point in the anatomy of a positive complaint is to give it a voice. But make sure that voice is directed in the correct, in the right direction where it can be um, helpful, okay? That's complaint anatomy. Now we're going to take a look at another psalm. And we're going to compare these two psalms throughout this whole conversation. Psalm 34 was a psalm of praise written after David escaped the wrath of King Saul by feigning madness among the Philistines. That's a whole different subject matter that we're actually going to do a podcast on that because it's kind of odd what he did. And you got a question. Well, wait a minute. You mean he was faking something? And you say, why is that a good thing? Well, we're going to be touching on that in, a, in, in, in several weeks. But anyway, this is a psalm of praise. There's no complaining. It's a psalm of praise. We're putting it next to a psalm of complaint. So Psalm 34, verses 1 through 3. How does this psalm of praise start? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Okay. Boy, oh. nobody could do it like David, could yeah. they? Well, see, and, and here's the thing. You know, for, for me, trying to figure out how to talk about complaining, when we complain, what we do is we magnify something. Okay? We magnify something and it becomes a big deal. And so I was thinking, okay, what should we be magnifying? And I kept thinking of scriptures that says, oh, magnify the Lord, exalt him, and all of that. So I looked up a bunch of scriptures, and this psalm kind of won out over the others as a great example to compare with the other. But it comes down to what are you going to decide to magnify? Are you going to magnify your complaint, or are you going to magnify God? You can't do both. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a beautiful way to begin the discussion here. Exalting God is the great equalizer for complaining. And whenever. Because oh, to the extent you're magnifying one, there's no room to magnify yourself in your own complaining. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So to have a positive complaint 
if we have magnifying God in the in the beginning in our hearts, yeah. it's going to be awfully difficult to magnify that complaint, and make it bigger than it needs to be. So we've got complaint anatomy that you, you you mentioned to us. Give voice to your complaint to those whom you trust. Well, what's the anatomy of praise here? The praise anatomy from Psalm thirty four is what. So we learned contextualize your life by remembering to whom and to what you owe the position of authority and exaltation in your life. And here's a hint. Your complaints never hold this spot. Okay. Remember to whom and to what you owe the position of authority in your life. All right. That's the important thing. So we want to be focused and clear on the anatomy of our complaints and the anatomy of our praise work with them together. So complaining isn't such a simple subject after all. It's not. And let's be honest, David in writing the Psalms complained a lot. Is he setting a good example by his complaining? If you disagree with some of Rick and Jonathan's viewpoints, no matter your beliefs, we want to hear from you. Reach out to us at ChristianQuestions.com or through our app by searching for Christian Questions in your app store. Our producers are feeding us your awesome comments and questions every week, so keep them coming. In this next CQ chapter, we're going 3D. Three viewpoints. Christian, secular, and neutral. You know, that, that was a good question, and I absolutely believe that David was setting a good example. As we go through his psalm about being betrayed by his good friend and advisor, we will see how what might sound like chronic complaining to some was actually well-placed and mature reasoning and recounting of a really great difficulty. And what we're going to see is when there is a mature reasoning and recounting of something, it's very different than the typical complaint uh, that, that we would all tend to, to put out there. So David was setting a good example by complaining. And you got to be careful because if you take that statement out of context, oh, mm-hmm. look, Rick said it's a good to complain. So have <laughs> I got something to say? Let the whining begin. Yeah, I know, really. You know, pass pass around the wine, you know, and everybody gets all giddy on the whining is what happens. And, it, it, you know, because complaining is contagious. Very contagious. And un, it's unfortunate that it's so contagious, but it's easy to get on the bandwagon of complaining. So let's go back to a little bit about um, Dr. Romy from Fox News in Orlando uh, about positive complaining because she says some things here that are really important to putting complaining in perspective. The other interesting thing this study did find was people who've suffered some kind of trauma, Tom, like gone through divorce or abuse, that if they complain in an organized way, meaning to somebody that's neutral and an organized way is like journaling, that's also the emotional release. Where complaining doesn't benefit is if you're starting an argument and using emotion towards the other person. So if you're doing it that way, I would imagine if there are positive health benefits doing the right way, there are probably negative benefits doing it the wrong way? It is. It is. Number one, it's negative to a relationship between the two people complaining. I mean, you know this, Tom, right? There's those people in our lives who call and all they do is complain and you don't even want to take the phone call. Because what does it do? It makes the person receiving the complaints feel bad and feeds into depression and anxiety, not only in the person complaining, but into the person that is having to listen to it all the time. All right, Julie, go ahead. (laughs) You know, you influence a lot of people in a day, whether it's children or coworkers or your spouse or your friends. So reinforcing a behavior of complaining encourages others to see this as either it's okay or 
that you're someone to avoid. Yeah, yeah, oh, and 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 that's a, that's a good observation because when we reinforce it, anything that gets reinforced is uh, is is going to grow in strength. And, and it's that much harder to break. Right. Right, right. When you, you know, it's like a habit. They say, you know, a habit's like a tiny little spider web at the beginning. And, but, you know, over time it grows bigger and stronger and bigger and stronger. And soon it can't be broken. Complaining can be just like that. It was interesting. In there, she talked about positive complaining and a benefit of journaling. Said, well, you know, journaling is a positive benefit because you're getting it out without pouring it all over somebody. And it's interesting talked about that as an emotional release because that's exactly what David did in the Psalms. David in the Psalms poured out, he journaled his Mm -hmm. complaints. Now, not only did he journal his complaints, but he directed them to the eternal complaint solver, which makes the journaling really powerful and really focused. And folks, really, that's what we want to get to. If we're going to be complaining and we all complain one way or another, how do we do that? How do we get to that high level of, of dealing with our complaints? It's almost like disciplined complaint. Yes, exactly. Actually, great way to put it. You know, yeah. our complaints need to be disciplined like yeah. other things in, in life. Monica Johnson, great quote from Monica Johnson. Okay, many of our choices have led to the predicaments we are presently complaining about. So in other words, it's my own fault, so quit whining. <laughs> yeah, and how often is that the case? Now, sometimes it's not. But how often are we complaining because we've made some choices that have led to circumstances which have led to other circumstances and now we're complaining? So, you know, there's a lot of looking in the mirror going over this. So let's go back to the Psalm of Complaint. Let's continue the Psalm 55, the Psalm of Complaint. Now remember, David had just given voice to his complaint. That was in Psalm 55, verses 1 to 3. Now let's go to Psalm 55, the next four verses, verses 4 through 8. My heart is in anguish within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Behold, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. Selah. I would hasten to my place of refuge from the stormy wind and tempest. David is such a poet. Ooh, he is really struggling here. Well, and that's the point. You know, he has a way, you said, you know, no, nobody does it quite like David. And he's talking about how much anguish this complaint of his has, has put him through. So if we're looking at the anatomy of a complaint, of a positive complaint, first, it's important to give it a voice and to direct that voice in the right direction. But what's the second piece of complaint anatomy? Describe the depth of the effects that your complaint has upon you and be honest. So if you are going to be complaining in a positive way, it's really important to really complain. And that sounds odd, uh, but- you Let have, it all out. Right, and if you are being honest and it's in, in a productive sense, then there can be some value to that. And that's exactly what David is doing. David is not just spouting off. To the nearest person. He is pouring his heart out to God and letting him know exactly how he, 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 he feels. He's telling him the effects of what has happened, the effects of that betrayal from his dear friend from many, 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 many years, Ahithophel. Okay, so that's the anatomy, the second piece of the anatomy of a complaint. Now, let's go back to the Psalm of Praise because it comes down to what am I going to, what's the word? magnify 
Mm. What am I going to magnify in life? Am I going to magnify the trouble or am I going to magnify God and then deal with the trouble? Wow. Psalm 34, verses 4 through 7. Now, David had just exalted God in his majesty in the first few verses. Let's go to the next verses of Psalm 34. Okay, and I have to say, Psalm 34, 4 is my favorite scripture in all of the Bible because it's easy to memorize and to repeat in times of crisis. So let me emphasize Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Wow. Okay. We continue. <laughs> okay. They, yeah. Go, no, go ahead. Okay. They look to him and were radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Okay. I sought the Lord. He answered me and delivered me from all my fears profound it is so the anatomy of praise here now remember we're comparing the anatomy of a good complaint a positive complaint not a nagging complaint not a tear somebody down complaint not a just venting because i feel like venting or because i need sympathy or because i can't stop complaining complaints but of a positive complaint that seeks solution that seeks to be resolved the anatomy of that complaint is very different now the anatomy of praise here is what After exalting and honoring God in your life, personally and diligently seek him out. All right. The the praise anatomy started with exalting and honoring God, with magnifying God. Now we've got to personally and diligently seek him out. And and Julie, verse 4, your favorite verse, says that. Okay? I sought the Lord. I sought the Lord. I went looking. There's work. There's work involved on your part. Right. It's not like, oh, God, bless me. I'm waiting you know, I'll put my hand out and you should just deliver to me. That's not... If you do this, I'll never do that again as long as right, I live. Right, that's, One of those. No, you know what that is? That's a that's a 13-year-old teenager saying, Oh, Daddy, please, if you do this, I promise I'll... Uh, we, we can't be adolescents in our Christianity. Can't do that. Okay, let's go to science. Let's go to, uh, a little bit more in terms of science and complaining and understanding it. This is from How Complaining Rewires Your Brain for Negativity by Dr. Travis... Bradbury, and we're going to read some sections of this throughout the rest of the podcast. Go ahead. When you have something that is truly worth complaining about, engage in solution-oriented complaining. Think of it as complaining with a purpose. Solution-oriented complaining should do the following. Have a clear purpose. Before complaining, know what outcome you're looking for. And if you can't identify a purpose, there's a good chance you just want to complain for its own sake. And that's the kind of complaining you should nip in the bud. Okay, so this is profound. Solution-oriented complaining. So if you don't know that you're looking for a solution when you're starting to complain, if you just feel like you just want to burst out and pour it all out all over who's ever in front of you, then that's the wrong kind of complaint. You need to you need to reel that baby back in because it doesn't belong out there because it's a destructive force for you and for others. And a lot of times that kind of complaining is just to get attention. Yes. Yeah. No, you're right. You are absolutely right. There's about no that. solution. It's just look at me. I'm complaining. Right. Look at me. I'm troubled. I'm complaining. I need help. Okay. Oh. It's time for a commercial. Are you ready? I'm ready. Go ahead. Okay. Our listeners should go to ChristianQuestions.com and sign up for, my favorite thing, our free (laughs) weekly CQ Rewind document. So every week, 
we type out every scripture that's quoted on the podcast and we include a lot of the commentary of Rick and Jonathan so you can follow along with the program as you listen and use it for your own Bible study. And you also get heads up on next week's topic so you know what's coming and you can start thinking about it in your week. Christian Questions CQ Rewind. It's free. Try it. All right. No, no, doesn't hurt to try it. You know what? You won't complain. If you don't like it, you can just unsubscribe with the click of a button and we get it. Okay. But give it a shot. CQ Rewind, uh, the full edition. It's a free service at ChristianQuestions.com. All right, Julie, let's go to a complaint test. A test? A test. (laughs) No, I'm ready for a test. Is the following complaint legitimate? And if not, what went wrong? So. This is the story of Zacchaeus. It's a short little story, and there's a complaint that happens. Let's lay the context of who Zacchaeus is at the beginning of the story, and it's going to define itself. Luke 19, let's do verses 1 through 6 to get started. Okay. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable to because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. Okay, let's pause there. That sounds like a great story to me. I love that story, part of the story. You know, and I'm really fond of this story because Zacchaeus was a short guy. And you're little. I, <laughs> well, I wouldn't say I'm little. Maybe I'm a little short, but... <laughs> but the, We're not shopping at the big and tall man store. That's, that's true. We're not. Uh, I look at that with envy, you know. <laughs> anyway, but see, the point of the story is this is a man who is looking for something, and he wants to get a glimpse of Jesus, not just to see what he looks like, but he wants to see who he is. So he goes so far as to run ahead, calculate where he's going, sees the tree, and he says, if I get up there, I can at least see him. He's not trying to be noticed, but Jesus notices him, and with the heart and the grace and the compassion of Jesus, he looks up and he welcomes him. Come on down. I want to have dinner at your house with you today. I mean, you look at that and say, who can complain about that? Well, you know what? There's one in every crowd, okay? So let's find out who complains. Verses 7 through 10 is the complaint, and then Jesus' response. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, Half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Okay, so the complaint is that, look, Jesus has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now, Is that a true statement? Yeah, it it was a true statement because Zacchaeus was defrauding people. Right. He was was overcharging people. Well, he certainly was in a position to be able to do so with ease and people couldn't question him. Okay. So, and he was, the, the position of tax collector was looked down upon 
by Jews, especially religious Jews, because, you know, there's part of supporting the Roman government in there and all of this stuff. So, you know, you've got this, this contradiction, so to speak, and Zacchaeus was a living contradiction. So when they said he has gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner, they were right. Mm -hmm. They were right. And here's the thing, though. It wasn't merely an observation. It says they all began to grumble, saying. Mm -hmm. So instead of being an observation and to say, Jesus, can you tell us why you would eat at that guy's house? Because it certainly seems odd. They're grumbling about it. They're not looking for solution. They're looking to vent. They're looking to, to draw attention to a fault that they are pinning on Jesus. Or how about, hey, what is it about this Zacchaeus that was so special? We need to get to know him too. Invite yeah. us to come to his house. So instead of complaining, there you can look at it from the other perspective. Right. But see, Jesus' answer, Jesus' response to this is, salvation has come to this man today because his heart is right. Mm. He's also a son of Abraham, and that answers the sinner question. He's a son of Abraham, just like you claim to be a son of Abraham. He has right to me, to Jesus, as much as you do. The Son of Man has come to seek those especially who don't know how to find goodness. Zacchaeus mm. hasn't found it, but he's finding it now, and I'm proclaiming to you the goodness of it. So the complaint, was it a legitimate complaint? I'm asking. Oh, was it legitimate? You know, I can see why they were why they were mad that either they didn't get picked or someone they knew didn't get picked. Right. Kind of legitimate. No, but yes. Yes, and that's the that's the problem with the test is yeah. yeah, there's a there's a there's a thread of truth that runs through it, but unfortunately, the delivery of the complaint was all off. And so yes. so you know, you can have that that legitimacy, but the delivery is so important and the reason for the complaint becomes a big big issue. So even if you're complaining about something right, the reason becomes very, very important. And Jesus, of course, put everything exactly where it belonged. Okay, so that was our first complaint test. We're going to go, we're going to be doing another complaint test very, very shortly. But here's the thing. So complaints can come in all shapes, sizes, and varieties. Colors, textures, versions. But what about when a whole bunch of people have the same complaint? Is there strength in numbers? Talk to us during our live Monday night podcast from 8 to 9.30 every week. If you're listening through our app, just hit the message button. If you're on ChristianQuestions.com, click on chat at the bottom of your screen. As our discussion continues, it is inevitable when we start to answer questions that more questions appear. Let's see how this expands. You know, th this actually is a very common occurrence, both now and historically. To an extent, there is strength in numbers, but there is never infallibility just in numbers. There's never necessarily truth just in numbers. As we shall soon see, the basic principles of complaining always exist. But is the complaint venting? Is it sympathy-seeking? Or is it chronic? Does it have a basis in more than how a group of people feel? So the idea is just because a group of people feel a certain way doesn't make it something that's legitimate to complain about. If you get a, you know, you know 20 or 30 or 40 people together and they want to complain, okay, so there's a lot of voices. Does that legitimize the complaint? I see I don't think necessarily it does. So we have to be careful about that. Okay, another quote this time from Eckhart Tolle. 
Discontent, blaming, complaining, and self-pity cannot serve as a foundation for a good future, no matter how much effort you make. <laughs> ah, that's funny. <laughs> you can try as hard as you want, but that is your foundation. That's right. It's just, it just, it just, it's just a doomed, crumbling effect that's going to happen in your life. So let's go back to our psalm of complaint. And remember, when we talk about psalms of complaint, they are actually psalms of constructive complaining. And we're going through these psalms of complaint so that we can understand what's the construction of a positive complaint. David, remember, had just, you know, he had given his complaint voice to the right person. He had just described the internal effects of his complaint. Now we go on to Psalms 55, verses 9 through 11, for the next step, the next step in the anatomy of a constructive complaint. Confuse, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around her, upon her walls, and iniquity and mischief are in her midst. Destruction is in her midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from her streets. Okay. Now, there's a lot of things going on there. He's saying, well, what, what's going on? And he's really talking about the condition of Jerusalem after this rebellion. So he's describing the things that are happening within Jerusalem. When he says within her, her walls, he's talking about within the walls of Jerusalem, this is God's city. And he's saying, this is what's happening here as a result of this rebellion. So what's the anatomy of his positive complaint in these verses 9 through 11? So we would suggest describe the external effects of your complaint to your complaint handler. If there are no external effects that indicates something personal and properly handled directly with the subject. Okay, so if you you've now you've got to explain the other effects of the um, of the complaint, and if there so these this is a complaint that has a, a large domino effect that that happens to affect a lot of other people within the city within all of Israel actually is what was happening here. So there. That needed to be described. So David described the anguish that he personally felt, and next he describes the external effects of this complaint. Mm -hmm. Now, if in our complaining there are no external effects except on me, 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 yeah, me, 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 then maybe instead of talking to somebody else, I should talk directly to that person. I shouldn't even be opening my mouth. I should go directly to that person and say, look, you and I, there's something that we need to iron out. Mm -hmm. So if there are external effects, give it to the complaint handler. The complaint handler up in heaven is what we're talking about specifically here. It's really important to put it out where it belongs. And David, he's showing that there is legitimate concern here. And he's pouring it out to God. He's, he's not holding back. David was never, ever a man to hold back in any way. And it's really important to do that. Go ahead. Can, can I ask a question? It, you said your complaint handler in heaven. Can your complaint handler, like sometimes I feel like you're my complaint handler. Can you have a complaint handler, someone who can kind of sort it out impartially and unemotionally? And, you know, I've got family members that I'd go to or that can come to me and my own husband. Can they be my complaint handler? Sure. As long as they are there to handle the complaints, not to jump into the pity party with you. Do it. Right. Right. See, if they are going to feed the complaint, they're not a handler. If they're going to absorb the complaint, they're not a handler. But if they're going to listen 
and respond with growth and positive action relating to the complaint, I would say then that's the kind of person you want to be a complaint handler. You're right. So it's someone that's going to help you magnify God and and demagnify yes, your complaint. That's exactly. See, you said it faster than I did. That's good. <laughs> okay. So it is important to realize that yes, we can have people in our lives who handle complaints with us who can help us get a grip so the complaint can be a constructive one rather than a negative one. So in the anatomy of a complaint here, describe the external effects of your complaint to your complaint handler. Next, we go back to the psalm of praise because it's about magnifying. If we're magnifying God, and that's our main primary objective, we won't have room to magnify our complaints. So we're going back to Psalm 34, this time verses 8 to 14. And remember, previously in Psalm 34, David had just personally sought, sought his exalted God. He was looking for him, and you had mentioned it's a lot of work. So now he had been looking. What happens in verses 8 to 14? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. To those who fear him, there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Okay, I love the way this verse, the, these verses start. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. This comes after the verses that say, seek him, go look for him. So the anatomy of praise here in this psalm is what? experience the blessing and power of God's grace and overruling. And again, if while we are dealing with a complaint, we take the time to experience the blessing and power of God's grace and overruling, our vocalization, our thinking about, our acting upon a complaint, is going to have an entirely different feel to it if we're in the, in the process of magnifying God all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's a really important contradiction to the wrong kind of complaining. And that's why we're going through the complaint anatomy and praise anatomy, because praise anatomy will flush out the wrong kind of complaining if mm-hmm. you decide to dwell in that in, in the praise. Okay, we're going to go to a soundbite. This is a short story. Folks, a lot of you have probably heard it, but it's worth telling again and again and again and again. This is uh, do everything from... Um, YouTube video, Do Everything Without Complaining and Arguing. This is Pastor Greg Laurie talking about a complaining monk. Heard a story of a man who decided to join a monastery and become a monk. And he had to take a vow of silence. And at the end of the year, he would be allowed to appear before the head priest, but he could only say two words. So after one year of being in this monastery, the monk said, Bed's hard. Another year passes. He meets a head priest and he says, food's cold. After the third year he comes before the head priest and he says, I quit. The head priest says, well it's no wonder, since you've arrived you've done nothing but complain. <laughs> I love that. And, and, it, and it really does make, make the point. I mean he has an opportunity to speak two words. And the words that you carefully choose really express the, what, what's in your heart, you know? Bed's hard, food's cold, I quit. It just doesn't give you a sense of goodness. And you know, who wants to be around that? 
I mean, think about it. When we get complaining into our blood, that's what we sound like to other people. Like, okay, enough already. You know, and, and, and then, you know, you find people wanting to ignore you or to cut your conversation short a little bit and you wonder why. Well, think about it. Don't be like that monk in that story. What a great, great little example. Okay, back to science. How complaining rewires your brain for negativity. We're going back to uh, by uh, Dr. Travis Bradbury. There were the first points that he made was uh, have a clear purpose. What's the next point? Well, now he thinks we should start with something positive. So he says it may seem counterintuitive to start a complaint with a compliment, but starting with a positive helps keep the other person from getting defensive. For example, before launching into a complaint about poor customer service, you could say something like, I've been a customer for a very long time and I've always been thrilled with your service. Okay, so start with something positive. And you know, in in we've done podcasts in the past, uh, I, I think about criticism and things. One of the things, I don't know who I learned this from, but one of the things I always learned about criticism is you, th- you envision a sandwich. You know, criticism or complaining is like the peanut butter and jelly. It's sticky and it's messy. But if you have a piece of bread on the top and a piece of bread on the bottom, you can oh. handle that peanut butter and jelly. That's funny. I've never heard that before. Okay. Well, the peanut butter and jelly thing I made up, but it was, the, the idea is the sandwich. Okay. Focus oh, on the sandwich. related, I'm in. Okay. <laughs> but see, start with something positive. The bread on the top. You can handle that. Then you get through the gooey stuff and then finish with something positive and people are going to remember the negative. You think that they're not, well, you know, I I made it softer. No, you made it hearable. So -hmm. if you're going to complain, it's a great thing to do. Start with something positive. Okay. Well, speaking of something positive. Okay. I wanted to remind everyone about our new YouTube series called Moments That Matter. Uh, These are two-minute videos talking about something positive to ponder on throughout your day, or you can do what I do, is I do two minutes right before I go to sleep. So I have something you know positive in my head rattling around as I'm trying to sleep. And hey, Rick can actually say something in just two minutes. It's <laughs> shocking, but true. I... Uh, so check out our Moments That Matter two-minute videos at christianquestions.com slash YouTube, or you can search YouTube for CQ Bible Podcast. ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube or CQ Bible Podcast, all one word. And while you're at it, once you get onto YouTube, why don't you become a a Christian Questions subscriber as well? We'd love to get you in there and and know what's coming. Okay, so we're talking about positivity and we're talking about complaining the right way. Let's do another complaint test. No! (laughs) Yeah, this one's one's big, okay? This one is going to take a few segments to get through. This complaint test has to do with Israel's national... Murmuring, and oh, when this it, is a biggie. yeah, and when anything's on a national level, you know it's going to take a little bit of energy here. Yeah. And this murmuring is over food and water. Okay, we're going to drop in on a nation that was just over a month ago miraculously delivered from generations of slavery in Egypt. They saw the ten plagues, their release, and the parting of the Red Sea. They saw all these things as evidences of God's care for them. Here's what happens. Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. Then they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness called Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, 
when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Wow. Thanks. <laughs> All right. So, Julie, before we get into the commentary on this, what jumps out at you from that passage? What, what, what's the thing that you look at and say, huh, wow. Okay. What I get is literally they left 30 days before. They haven't even been out. And from what I understand, they came with uh, they left Egypt with cattle and animals and tons and tons and tons of food, and yet they whined and complained that they didn't have enough food. Yes, they did. You know, they're, they're, they, I imagine they're thinking about, who knows, maybe they're thinking about rationing their food and all that, and they're, and they're saying, you know, things aren't going well. Now, was there legitimacy to their complaint at all? Well, yes, because they were hungry, and I know I tend to complain when I'm hungry or tired, <laughs> and I'm usually hungry or tired. Okay, well, there you go. So there was a sense of legitimacy to part of that complaint. Hunger, so they have to eat. Right. Hunger makes you complain. And look, folks, we've all been hungry. You know what that's like. And it's like, man, I'm so hungry. I can't even think straight. And, you know, I just got to get something to eat. And, you know, and, and then you get a little irritable. And then that's where complaining comes into play. Well, we have a nation that's saying, would that we would have died by the Lord's hand in Egypt? Because at least we had lots of meat and lots of bread. Kind of ungrateful. Kind of, and that's the problem. Okay. There may have been a thread of legitimacy to the complaint. Yeah. But here's the real question. Was there legitimacy to the delivery of the complaint? Ah, uh, no. Mm -mm. Why not? Obviously, this is a lack of faith. Right. And they had no patience. It was only 30 days. And they weren't reverent. They weren't being respectful of Moses and Aaron and what Moses was trying to do for them. So you have this sense of a complaint that loses any thread of legitimacy by the way it's delivered. I mean, think about it. What they're saying is, would that God, we, we have died by God's hand in the land of Egypt. Now, God's hand in the land of Egypt performed miracles to deliver them. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of saying, would that God just didn't perform all those miracles for our, for our benefit and just killed us right then and there. It would have been better off. Right. I mean, th you know, that sounds like somebody who's hypoglycemic and just can't handle being hungry. I mean, jeez. You know, when you think about it, I mean, it's over the top. So, yeah. and what happens is when one person starts with a complaint like this, everybody gets on board. Yeah, it sounds legitimate then. Right, right, exactly. So we legitimize something that's not legitimate because their complaining was out of a lack of faith. Do you think God knows... If he could tell you what the plagues were before they were going to happen and tell you when to get ready to leave and tell you when to leave and show you the dividing of the sea for your, your benefit, do you think he could take care of you? Mm -hmm. Now, you know, we look at that and say, well, you know, come on, come on, come on. But what happens is groupthink, peer pressure comes into play and groupthink and complaints are not a good combination because groupthink is usually based in emotion not reality and not fact. Groupthink is not logical usually. It is feelings-based, and that really brings us to a bad place in terms of having to deal with things. So in this complaint test, we've got a lot of people out there complaining. Groupthink is not principle-driven. If we're going to complain properly 
our complaint has to be driven by something higher, something principle-driven and not driven by just how I feel. And Julie, that's the hard part because most of us complain because of how we feel. And we don't even think to the next level. Is that feeling legitimate? Is it based on principle? Is it based on righteousness? Is it based on something good? Or is it just because I'm ornery today? Well, we're so entitled. Yeah. Yeah. We're so entitled to everything, everything right now. And therefore, if I don't have what I want right now, well, you're going to hear about it. Yeah, right. And we think that part of our entitlement is the ability to just spout off with whatever right. level of emotion we want to spout off with. So none of this is good. You know, bottom line is this, okay? Bottom line is this. So with complaining, we can be wrong even when we're right. That's true, but what's the end result when a reasonable complaint is delivered in an unreasonable way? How does God respond? All right, now that's a good question. There's a lot of talk program topics out there. If you're burnt out on Capitol Hill and Trump, don't worry. We never go there. But if you're looking for unique ways to look at the Bible, we'll make you think about how today's world ties into Scripture like you've never thought about before. Thanks for listening, and get ready for us to take a deeper dive right now. You know, we we have to be careful, because while we may look at the experiences of Israel in this instance, and we think, shame on them, their reaction really is a telling example of how we all can do and respond to difficulties. So often we see the need, the lack, or the challenge. But as we communicate with what we insert, um, as we, I'm sorry, as we communicate what we insert, uh, what we, jeez, I can't talk. (laughs) Don't complain about me though, okay, please? (laughs) But as we communicate what we see, uh, we insert our emotional passion which is easily a corrupter of truth. And, you know, I wish I didn't stumble on that because that's a powerful point. (laughs) Okay, as we communicate something, when we insert the emotion and the passion, it often corrupts the clarity of the message. And we have to be so careful to not go there. So while we look at Israel and we say, oh, shame on them, folks, really, we got to look at us and say, okay, how do I do that? and have the courage to look internally instead of externally. Okay, so um, Julie, this is another quote from Monica Johnson, and I think you you really love this one. Okay, this is the one that really turned this whole lesson on its head for me. Are you ready? I'm ready. Complaining is an insult to God. All right. Yikes, now that is perspective. Yes. So at Christ, as Christians, we know God has a plan, and we should be the least likely to be bothered by things. So maybe if we think about it in terms of when we complain, God views it as insulting and ungrateful. And none of us want to be like that. And see, that's something that we have to be willing to, to, to accept and say, okay, Rick, stop a moment. Is what I'm doing, is what I'm saying, is how I'm thinking magnifying God or magnifying my complaint? And truly, if I'm not magnifying God, then what am I doing? I'm taking the creator of all things and making him second or third or fourth or fifth. Yeah. That's insulting to God. And ungrateful. It is. It is. It's very ungrateful. So the people were ungrateful. So we're going back to that complaint test. How did God respond to this? And here's how he responded. He uniquely fills their needs. Now, let's look at the scriptures and, and figure this out. Exodus 16, verses 4 through 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, 
I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. Okay, so he says to Moses, I'm literally going to rain bread from heaven down for you. And you think about that and say, whoa. I mean, now, <laughs> I mean, God is, you know, I mean, it's not loaves of bread, you know, falling like missiles or anything like that. But, you know, it's, it's an idea that I'm going to send something to you that you have never seen before to fulfill this hunger that you have. Go ahead. So he answered their complaint, though. So the complaint worked. Yes, he did answer the complaint. But see, that's not the end of it. He answers the complaint, but it's not going to be without a test of faith and loyalty. So there's a caveat to the answer, because now you've got God Almighty having truly been insulted by his people saying, would that God would have killed us right there and then, instead of brought us to this place in this condition. So mm-hmm. he casually puts in this, this moment of, of uh, this momentary test. Well, it's not a momentary test, but a test of faith and loyalty. Verses 5 through 7 of uh, Exodus 16. So on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, At evening, you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your grumblings against the Lord. And what are we that you grumble against us? So this is interesting. So he says, okay, here's the way it's going to work. I'll feed them. Not to worry. I'll feed them. And I'm going to feed them in a way that's unique. I'm going to give them this manna. And uh, I'm going to... I'm, I'm going to send it to them, but they can only collect enough for the day. They can't hoard it. I'm going to make sure that they work for it. I'm going to make sure that it all gets put in place so that they will be have to show me some loyalty here. They are forced to trust that it will keep coming the next day. Right. And not on the day that he said it wouldn't. Right. So, And on the sixth day, they got to gather twice as much. So the seventh day of the day of rest, they wouldn't have to. So yeah. there is a test of faith and loyalty in this. So he does answer the complaint, but not without drawing them to a higher level. So what we have... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. It reminds me of give us, our, give us this day our daily bread. That's what we are promised. And here, that's what they were promised. Right. Daily bread. Right. Nothing else, not the, not the entrapments of life, but the daily bread. Right. Grace and accountability all rolled up into one neat package that they called manna. Yeah. What a great lesson. You know, Rick, can I, can I make a quick sidebar here? I, I have a question for you. Okay. No, wait, you know what? Is Trish there? Because I think that if it's always better to ask the wife. <laughs> Trish, are you here? Yes, I am. Okay. okay. Hey, Trish. Hi. So listen. I have a really important question. I've known Rick for many years, and I've talked to him probably for hundreds of hours. Now, I know that your life is not all unicorns and meadow flowers. The two of you (laughs) have had your share of difficult moments, but I'm telling you, I have never once heard Rick complain. How is it that he has the discipline that so many of us don't? Well, he married me. What's <laughs> <that>? <laughs> well, so we all need to marry Trish. That's, okay. that's, 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 no, no, no. Save ourselves an hour and a half. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, does Rick complain? That's yeah, all. does he complain? Well, 
let me put it this way. When the difficulties and frustrations of, of life bombard him, which Julie um, can be a lot sometimes, what we do is we talk about it and he tells me his frustrations and his concerns, you know. But his faith and trust in God's direction and help is always the final answer. He always says at the end, it's all good, we can do this. And the we in that sentence is God, Christ, himself, and me. That's who he is. So, I mean, he uses his, his faith, he, he practices what he preaches, and he works really hard at it. Wow. So um, I'm really thankful for that. Do you complain, Trish? Do I complain? Now you should ask Rick that. <laughs> I plead the fifth. Uh, ooh. <laughs> no, you well, know, you know. You could say something nice. No, no, no. You know, yeah, really, geez. really, really, really. Okay, let's let's back up here. You know, you know what it really what it comes down to is that when the stresses of life happen. Instead of Trish is not a, a a pour it out on you and just and and you know pick up the mess. She's a I don't know what to do. This is hard, or mm-hmm. I I I don't feel like I I can get my arms around it, or it's too big, or it's or or it's, it's too it's it's been too too intense or whatever. But it's mm-hmm. never you know about this person said this and this person did that and I can't stand this. There's never any of that because it's always with the idea of. Maybe it's it's you know I need some little bit of help, a little bit of guidance, a little bit a little bit of focus because I got to deal with this. So, so you're her complaint handler. Yes, yes, and she and she you know in in a lot of ways is my complaint handler mm-hmm. because look I have lots of complaints that swim around in my head, but the thing is, one of the things that I really work hard at personally is not giving those things the right to see the light of day. Because wow. I don't think they don't belong on the outside. They don't because they're not going to help anybody. They're not going to lift anybody up. It's not going to solve anybody's problems. So I just keep those things to myself. And it's not going to magnify God. Exactly. Oh. So it really comes down to magnifying God, not how I feel or what's wrong for, for both of us. Go ahead, Trish. And, you know, for complaining, I, I think when you complain a lot, it usually ends up being a negative um, input towards somebody else. And that's just something that we, we shouldn't be doing. We really have to work too hard at not complaining and speaking badly about other people. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, the, the other thing that, that we always talk about is, uh, especially when things are hard in life, one of the things I say, I don't know if I say it out loud a lot, but I, say, I certainly say to myself is, you know, bottom line, I wouldn't trade this for anything. You always say that out loud. <laughs> because, Even the hard experience. Yes, yeah. especially the hard ones. Ugh, because in in a lot of those hard ones, that's where the growing happens. That's where you can actually change help help change people's lives. That's where that that's where all the effects happen. And through all those things, if we can just you know, I wouldn't trade this for anything. That becomes a real powerful tool to step forward and step up and step out. And you walk away saying, okay, renewed magnifying god let's go do this mm-hmm. so that's our story we're sticking to it thank you <laughs> thanks trish You're so it really is important to, to to take a look at it from a personal perspective so thank you for uh, for asking that that question 
Let's go back to science. Complaining rewires your... Oh, I, I'm sorry. You know what? Quick, quick soundbite here because there's something interesting in this soundbite that gives you kind of a sense of pulling things together, kind of like we were just talking about. This is from my biggest complaint about complaining, uh, talk show host Matthew Hussey. Let's take a listen. This is the problem with complaining, is that most people would rather settle for sympathy than go for glory. Because the truth is, going after what you want, solving a problem, let's say, is the harder path in the short term. Actually solving the problem is the harder path. And I should say this, solving the problem is usually quite thankless. When you're off trying to solve something, very often it's a lonely task. You're trying to make something happen, you're butting your head against a wall, and no one is noticing. And not only that, but if you come to people in an empowered state, where you say, they say, what's wrong? And you say, nothing, you know, I got this issue that I got fixed, but I'm on it, I'm fixing it, I'm there. People don't give you love for that. Most of the time, people are like, oh, cool, all right, sounds great. But if you said, oh, my God, I have this big problem, I have to do this, and I have to do this, and I have to do this, and I don't know how I'm going to get it all done today, they go, oh, my God, you're overstressing yourself. You really need to relax. You really need to take some time. And, you know, you do so much. And it's all this instant gratification compared to when you actually try and do something and try and solve something, and you have the thankless task of doing that. So he brings out an important point about huh? not settling for sympathy. But, mm-hmm. but being willing to be that solver. And that's a hard thing to do. Do you have one minor complaint, though, about the soundbite? Just a minor little thing. You know, he talked about, you know. Oh, he, I have a, yeah. He <laughs> used the Lord's name in vain. Yeah, you know, and, and, and oh you know, my. people don't even think about that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, but, the, you know, they, they say, it, oh, my God, this, oh, my God, that. And every time I hear that, I think, oh, are you praying? <laughs> because, you know, it's an odd prayer, but okay. You know, but. Really, that, that's one of those little things you got to look at and say, hmm, we really should be cognizant of how we use God's name. We really should. Anyway, though, he makes a good point. You know, I don't want to take the point away about not settling for sympathy. It's just important to do that. Okay, we're, we're going to start to uh, run, run shy on time here. So let's get back to the science of it, how complaining rewires your brain for negativity, Dr. Travis Bradbury. This is point number three in his explanation. Okay, he tells us to be specific. When you're complaining, it's not a good time to dredge up every minor annoyance from the past 20 years. Just address the current situation, be as specific as possible. So instead of saying, your employee was rude to me, describe specifically what the employee did that seemed rude. Okay, be specific. And again, when you listen to the Psalms that we're going through, you know, Psalm 55, David is very specific to God. His, his explanations to God are clear. He's letting God know exactly what's what. So let's go back to Psalm 55, now verses 12 to 15. Now remember, previously in Psalm 55, the complaint psalm, David had just described the external effects of his complaint on the people and on the city of Jerusalem. What's right, next? Right. Okay, so 55, uh, 12 to 15. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me. Well, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide myself from him. But it is you, a man my equal, my companion, and my familiar friend. We who had sweet fellowship together walked in the house of God in the throng. Let death come deceitfully upon them. Let them go down alive to Sheol, for evil is in their dwelling, in their midst. All right. So in this verse, he's saying, you know, let's just touch on the complaint anatomy. What, what's being brought out next with David's complaint before God? 
Well, he's detailed the depth and damage of the complaint. It's been given voice and its effects, whether internal or external, are apparent. But now we expose it for its destructive nature. All right. So he's saying, this was my friend. This was somebody I deeply trusted. And this is where we are. So he's detailing it graphically before God. I just have one quick question. Yes. Um, you know where he said, let them go down alive to Sheol. Yeah. If Sheol is the grave where people are simply dead and non-existent, what does it mean to go down alive to Sheol? That's a good question. And, you know, just, just a quick answer is this, I really believe, is a reference to uh, Numbers chapter 16, where the Korah and his sons rebelled against Moses. And if you remember, they were trying to take control of Israel, and Moses separated the people and said, everybody who's with Korah, stand over yeah. there. Everybody who's with yeah. God, stand here. And there was an earthquake, and literally it swallowed them up, and they died. Uh, and I think that's what David is referring to, because he was betrayed as well. I see. They were betraying Moses and God. David was betrayed. So I think he's using that example and saying that same same kind of category. They, they've stood against everything that is good. Yeah. Okay. okay. So the complaint anatomy here is detailing the depth and damage of that complaint. That's important. So complaining, when put in the right framework, can be constructive. This is good, but most complaints don't qualify for this, okay, because they're too emotional. So how do we handle those complaints that don't qualify? We are going to go to a soundbite, Julie, that folks, this this is going to, I am just so, this is amazing. I love this. This was written by Lonnie Boyd, uh, and Lonnie is a Christian Questions contributor, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely, yep. Okay, she works with us in a variety of different ways, and she has got a gift for writing truth in a very provocative way. So I want you to listen to her poem, if you will, on complaining. This will be part one. We're going to come back to part two later. Go ahead. And this is from uh, her, her website is suitcasefullofgrace.weebly.com. Suitcase full of grace. Okay. Listen, this is Complain by Lonnie Boyd, part one. When I turned on the television tonight, the images on the screen shocked my sight. Children starving halfway around the globe. Children with no future and no hope. Living in fear of bombs falling from the sky. Too emaciated and dehydrated to even cry. And I... For some reason I can't explain, can still find cause to complain. As I sit in comfort with a roof over my head, somewhere, someone cowers in dread, facing panic and sheer hatred and war, or disease and pain too severe to ignore. What's more? It doesn't seem to take much for me to be discontent and at some small inconvenience, lament. In spite of all the ways God blesses me, I seem to find something that distresses me. I complain when the weather is too hot. I gripe when the food is too cold. I complained when I was too young to do things. Now I bemoan that I'm getting old. I complain I have to work, but I'd complain if unemployed. Sometimes it makes me wonder if God isn't utterly annoyed. Wow. Okay. Sometimes you, you listen to that and say, geez, what? I, 
that puts things in perspective because you look around you and say, do I even have a right to be emotionally spouting all of this mess? We're going to come back to that because there's more to that coming up uh, in the next segment. Let's go back to our Psalm of Praise, Julie. We're a little bit shy on time here. This Psalm of Praise is Psalm 34. Now remember in the previous chapter of the Psalm of Praise, David had just experienced the blessing and power of God. He said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. What comes next? Psalm 34, 15 through 18. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Okay, so we want to sum up the anatomy of praise here. What is it? Because God watches those who revere him, His eternal protection for them is guaranteed. And that is powerful because God watches those who revere him. His eternal protection is guaranteed. That's the anatomy of praise. That's the anatomy of magnifying God. When we look at David, he certainly was specific about the circumstances of his complaint. He was, and we should be as well. Detailing our complaint with integrity is important. Does David take it any further than that? Every episode, we cover a lot of ground. Part of gathering all the information and drawing conclusions is having a thorough conversation. Thanks to all our listeners for all your feedback every week. Rick and Jonathan want to hear more comments and questions. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com, through all our social media channels, and download our app by searching Christian Questions in your app store. Now, since we have puzzle pieces everywhere, let's put those pieces together. As you might expect, David does take this process all the way home. It is utterly inspirational to see that he detailed his complaints to God in such a positive way, and it is even more inspiring that he instructed many of his productive complaints to be put to music and played for the people. Not only did he learn from his complaints, he taught with his complaints as well. And Julie, that's the way to determine if a complaint is positive. Mm. Is it something that you would put to music and and broadcast before the people to uplift them? Wow. Or is your complaint to be put to music and broadcast to the people so you can enrage them or frustrate them or get them all to be, you know, all, all flustered together and start to grumble amongst themselves? Or talk bad about them. Which effect does your complaint have? on those around you. I mean, think about that. David's complaints were, were, were just very clear. Now, our next quote, Julie, I'm going to let you pronounce this person's name. I was name. just going to say, I'm glad you're going to pronounce the oh, name. Oh, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. So what's the person's name? <laughs> and then give uh, us the quote. Gen- gentleman, maybe gentleman sounds uh, Indian. Shushant Singh Rajput. Right, I knew that. And okay. what, what does this individual say that's so profound? It was profound. The best thing is to accept the circumstances, not take them personally, deal with them, stop complaining, and give everything your best. Okay. It's really simple. It's really clear. It's really focused. Accept things, deal with them, and give everything your best. One more one more moment on Rewind for you. Oh, well, it's CQ Rewind. Go ahead and sign up. It's a free sign up at ChristianQuestions.com. 
And what you do is every week we let you know when the written transcript is ready. You can go ahead and listen to literally hundreds of archives and follow along with the Rewind. It's a little Bible study right here for you, and it's all free. Okay. So give it a try if you haven't already. Sign up for CQ Rewind through your app, through the Christian Questions app, or it's ChristianQuestions.com. Last point on what does science say. This is from How Complaining Rewires Your Brain for Negativity by Dr. Travis Bradbury. His fourth point is... End on a positive. Oh, that's that second piece of bread you were talking about. That's right, that you can hold the goo in between. (laughs) Yeah, so if you end your complaint with, I'm never shopping here again, the person who's listening has no motivation to act on your complaint. In that case, you're just venting or complaining with no purpose other than to complain. So instead, restate your purpose as well as your hope that the desired result can be achieved. For example, I'd like to work this out so we can keep our business relationship intact. All right. So a lot of times people tend to think that, well, you know, if I really let them have it, you know, Mm -hmm. that's going to make it better. And it's not. Because what we want to do is if you're not complaining to solve, if you're not complaining to lift up, and you're complaining just to vent or to, or to bring others down, it just, it just isn't going to bring you anywhere. Go ahead. And even if for some reason that works, it doesn't look good on you. And no. it's not a good representation of what your Christianity should look like, and right. it's not magnifying God. That's right. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Let's go back to my biggest complaint about complaining with Matthew Hussey. And because he talks about, listen carefully to the soundbite, because he's talking about our source of significance. And this really has a lot to do with what we are magnifying. And I would argue that if you want to break the spell of complaining, change where you get your significance from. Do you get your significance from how many problems you have or the size of your problems? Or do you get your significance from your ability to be creative in solving them? One piece of advice, if you decide to take your significance from the latter, you have to get good at giving yourself the validation because far fewer people will give you the validation for going out and solving problems than they will for having problems in the first place. So that's it for today, my friends. Complaining is healthy when it is an emotional response to a situation that warrants emotion, but it becomes unhealthy when it becomes a relentless moaning about something that you are not trying to change. And such a, such a profound thought that, uh, you know, you've got to consider what is, what's the source of your significance? And again, it comes down to what are you magnifying? Mm-hmm. You know, for and you said it right at the very beginning of the podcast. If you're a Christian, as a Christian, we should have the least amount to complain about. Now, right. it doesn't mean we have the least amount of troubles. I mean, you know, you go through lives of some Christians that you know, and you look at the trials and the tribulations and the things they've had to deal with, and you go, oh, man, what wow. a tough life. But for those who are true, true Christians, you can't see the toughness of their life in the way that they express themselves. They don't carry the toughness of the trials and the beating downs that they have taken in life and the, and the failures and the tragedies. Those are not what, 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 uh, what define them. What defines them is honor and praise of God. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, I don't like to use the word, but that's sort of like the magic principle. That's the principle that changes things. What's the source of your significance? Is it to magnify God or magnify that which you complain about? Simple wow. equation. Very simple. Okay, let's go back to our psalm of complaint. 
Psalm 55. Remember now, David just revealed the destructiveness of his complaint. His very good friend had betrayed him, and it absolutely tore him to pieces. Where does he go from here? Psalm 55, verses 16 through 21. We'll take this in two pieces. As for me, I shall call upon God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I will complain and murmur, and he will hear my voice. He will redeem my soul in peace from the battle which is against me, for there are many who strive with me. So this is interesting because he says, I'm going to complain and murmur. Oh, yeah, because this is hurting me. But I'm going to complain and murmur to God. Not to anybody else, to God. He will deliver me. But I, I've, got, I've got to get this complaining out. But that's where it goes. It doesn't go anyplace else. I think that's profound to get us started here. You going to say something or you just want to continue with the verse? Yeah, we're ready. Okay, go ahead. Uh, starting with verse 19. Yes. God will hear and answer him, even the one who sits enthroned from of old, Selah, with whom there is no change and who do not fear God. He has put forth his hands against those who are at peace with him. He has violated his covenant. His speech was smoother than butter, but his heart was war. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. So what he's saying is, God will deal with him. And see, the power of that is, I don't have to. Mm. You see, it's in God's hands. And so when David complains to God, it really is a handing over of the emotion. And that's why he says, I will complain and murmur all day long to God because I am in the process of complaint transferal. I'm giving it to him, I'm giving it to him, I'm giving it to him, so he can handle it for me. That's where my complaint belongs. I think this is, this is, that's the way to complain. Yeah, and I trust that he's going to deal with that complaint in whatever manner he's going to deal with it in whatever his will is. Right. So therefore, I get the peace. Right, and that's the point. God's got this. I don't need for this thing to eat me up. God's got it. So the complaint anatomy here in Psalm 55, 16 to 21 is what? Finally, we can get some peace. Yes. So having given his complaint voice before God, voice before God, and a description of its effects, and a detailing of its destructive nature, he hands it over, and now there's peace. Because he hands it over. Not because he just says, God, I just want you to take a look at what I'm complaining about. It's mine. I own it, you know, and I'm going to continue to complain about it to everybody I see. It is I'm giving it to him. I leave it with him. It's in his hands. He will handle it, just like you said, in the way that he sees fit, in the time that he sees fit, and in the circumstances that he sees fit. And I am good with that. I now have peace. My complaining has now worked. So the complaint anatomy brings us here peace because you give it away. David teaches us how to constructively complain. Let's go back to Lonnie Boyd and her verse, if you will, on complaining. And at the fir- in the first part, she's laid out, God is very likely, I mean, he ought to be annoyed with me. I mean, I see these things and I look at my life and say, wow, so what happens? Where do you go from there? 
I can wear a frown like a crown that allows me to be down on the ground where I wallow in my woe. Oh, I will have you know I am rarely tardy to my own pity party where I bellyache and eat my cake without a break. Oh, for heaven's sake. I can criticize and agonize and not even realize how much I rationalize because I'm stuck feeling too traumatized to apologize. And what is it all for? No more. If I'm prone to continue to moan and groan and drone on and on and on like before, I will fall to my knees on the floor and cry no more and implore, Lord, when complaints from my lips abound, help me to hold my tongue and look around. I could develop more gratitude and respect if I learned to view things in perspective. Teach me to refocus and reframe because I am filled with remorse and shame at how I find reasons to complain. I pray that the next time I am in the mood to brood, forgive me as I work to be renewed and melt my complaints into thanks and gratitude. What do you say after that? Yeah. Drop the mic. Yeah, yeah, really. You know, there, it's such a, a sobering view of what goes on on the inside. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we going to let that come out on the outside? Or, and are we even going to just go rehearse it again and again and again and again on the inside instead of giving praise and instead of magnifying God? When we magnify God, we can learn to live with gratitude. And that was Lonnie's final point. Yeah. It's gratitude or complaining. Take your time. Which would you rather live with? You know, that's, that's the bottom line. What a, what a great, great example. Go ahead. And, and, you know, this whole poem in its uh, entirety was printed in the, this week's Rewind. So it, it's there for you if you want it. Okay. Uh, Christian Questions, CQ Rewind, full edition. Sign up at ChristianQuestions.com or uh, through the Christian Questions app. Okay, let's go back to our final look at a psalm of praise because, you know, we're running out of time. We've got about five minutes left here, and we've got a couple more scriptures to take care of. The psalm of praise, David, previously in our psalm of praise, Psalm 34, had just acknowledged God's watchfulness. Here's how this psalm of praise ends. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Okay, so the praise anatomy here is what? God's eternal protection brings complete eternal deliverance. Praise his name. It's really simple. So David in this psalm of praise brings us to the final uh, general statement that covers everything. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. And you, you could stop there and say, oh, those poor righteous. Mm. Finish the statement. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. So there is eternal deliverance, period. What else should we be magnifying except that which can give us eternal deliverance? And that only comes from one place, from God through Jesus. That's the anatomy of praise in Psalm 34. 
If we use that anatomy while we complain, I promise you that the complaining will change its 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 focus because it will have it will be good complaining, constructive complaining. As a matter of fact, when we go back to Psalm fifty-five, uh, our Psalm of complaint continued. Okay, so you know we're we're ending with the Psalm of complaint, and you say, well, why would you end with the Psalm of complaint? Because David knows how to end a complaint. That's why David had just been given peace and reason to stop complaining. What follows? What follows is praise. A Psalm of complaint is now renamed a psalm of praise. Psalm 55, the last verses, Psalm 55, verses 22 and 23. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. But you, O God, bring will bring them down to the pit of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit will not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. There's such a similarity between the end of Psalm 55 and the end of Psalm 34. Psalm 55 was a psalm of, full of complaining. Psalm 34 was a psalm full of praise. They end in the same way. And that tells you how our complaining should end. Because David put it into a positive, positive uh, 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 place. So... One last time, the, compl- the anatomy of a complaint, of a constructive complaint, is what? Let your complaint become an inspirational tool of praise for yourself and others. Okay, simple as that. David published many of his psalms of complaint as inspirational tools to show others how to put their complaints in the hands of God and let him deliver them. Our complaints should bring us uh, to bring us to a place we can praise and magnify God. Julie, we are just about out of time here. Give me a five-second recap in your own words. Wow. Well, what I learned, that we choose how we act in the face of adversity, and we can choose to be bitter or choose to be better. Okay. It's really simple. Choose to be bitter or choose to be better. Choose to let your complaints eat you up with emotion or choose to eat up your complaints with constructive direction. Which way do you decide to go? Psalms of, of, of complaint are actually psalms of praise. Think about that. So folks, look, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. It's been our true, true privilege to talk to you in terms of what it means to complain in a constructive way according to scripture. For Julie and Rick and Christian Questions, does complaining ever help? Yes, it does, but only done in the right way. We'll be back again next week with another subject. But till then, complain constructively. Think about it. Folks, remember, we love to hear from you. Let us know what you thought about today's subject.